0: Hope you're doing well this, this, excuse me, I'm sorry. I hope you're doing well this morning, as we come together to fellowship one with another and even with the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, you um, have your bulletin with you, uh, just a couple of announcements there. First of all, the women's Bible studies begin September 12th and also August 20th, following the worship service. There will also be a luncheon. So there is a sign-up sheet in the foyer for you to uh, sign up if you're going to participate in the luncheon. If you want to bring something, if not, you can just stay. And so the rest of the ministries are there on the bulletin. Continue to pray from, As we know that, you know, these ministries depend on you. They depend on the body of Christ. They depend on all of us to participate one with another, even in prayer. As I continue this morning, uh, in preparation for our pastor's message, I'd like to read uh, scriptures out of Ephesians chapter 6, uh, verses 10 through 13. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day that having done all to stand. What an encouragement word we have even this morning. Let's pray. Our Father, as we begin this morning, the introduction to our service, that song just Reminds us so much, Father, of the fact that we can find refuge in Jesus Christ. That when our, our lives are turned upside down, Lord, we have a Father in, a, in the Lord Jesus Christ, Father, that can give us peace. And we thank you for that, Father God. We thank you, Lord, because you say that um, if our mind is stayed on thee, you will give us perfect peace, Lord. We've got to be reminded of that. How wonderful you are. A good God you are especially every day, Lord, because we know we need your mercy. And so this morning, Lord, I thank you for the time we're going to have together, the time that you're gonna, we're going to be taught of your word, Lord. Pray that each one of us can going glean something from the word this morning as we leave. And so, Father, this morning, I just pray for those who are not with us for whatever reason. Father, you just bring them back to this fold, and we thank you so much for that. And so, Lord, we rely on your sustenance each and every day. We rely on your help, on your guidance and your provision and even our health lord and so lord all our lives should revolve on you and so this morning father as we uh, participate this morning together in fellowship we also are remembered remembering father the time that you gave your life on the cross and so this morning father we participate with the bread and the wine we say thank you father for all that you're doing and pray this in jesus christ's name amen
1: Good morning, everybody. Would you stand with us for a time of worship? I believe in the sun. I believe. I believe I overcome by the power of His blood. So I'm singing, you are good. Buried with Christ to rise in your freedom, you are good. When you make a promise, Jesus, you keep it, you are good. So I'll praise your name as long as I'm breathing, you are good. I'm not a
2: give up on me. Oh, what joy I found because of your love, because of your love for me. stone.
1: So
3: Good morning. good morning. hope you all are doing well this morning. Uh, children, remember it's uh, Communion Sunday, so we just have adventurers for children's church, uh, which means if you, not if you're adventurous, but if you're in second grade or lower, you can go, you're going to children's church this morning. Does that make sense? We've been doing this a long time, but I try to recommend or, excuse me, clarify every time. Um, so if you'd like to go to children's church, if that's what you're doing this morning, go ahead and go. a couple of extraneous items up here. All right. Welcome. Um, For those of you who haven't been here before, my name is Josh Meyer. They let me be the pastor here. Uh, They've done that for a while now. And uh, we're going to continue on in 1 Peter this morning. So I'd ask you to go ahead and open up your Bibles, um, and we'll pray before we begin. All right? That all right with you all? I'm going to do it anyway. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Uh, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the promises that are in it for us. And Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to understand them, to apply them uh, to our lives, Father, to do what is right in this world. Uh, and we thank you for that opportunity that we have in our identity in your Son. And Father, we thank you again for it. It's your Son's name we pray. Amen. So we're here uh, right in First in Peter 4, and we We've talked about a lot of things. By the time you get to the fourth chapter of an epistle, they're fairly dense. So we've talked about who we are, um, and we're no longer offended when Pastor Josh calls us all aliens, right? We're all aliens. Um, And so we tell people, don't get offended by that. That's just a word, and it means somebody uh, who is not a citizen of where they are, who has no right uh, legally to be where they are. That's who we are in our identity in Christ, right, in this world. Our citizenship is not of this world. Uh, scripture is very clear about that. And so that, that changes our expectations, right, uh, in this world. That's why uh, in certain legal documents that word is getting scrubbed, by the way, because they understand the meaning of the word. Um, they no longer want to apply it to any sort of uh, individual on any side of any border, right? But we know what it means. We know that we have different expectations in this world than we would have in eternity or in the kingdom to come. And we're choice, meaning that we're not here accidentally. We have a purpose to accomplish. Now, that, sound, that may sound difficult to you, right? Because we think that exercising our rights is the key, especially as Americans, to fulfilling our purpose in the world, that we feel that that's necessary equipment, that that provides the framework or the resources that we need to accomplish our purpose, not in this context, right? It's actually necessary that you have the freedom of being a stranger, an alien, in your identity in Christ, in this world. It's actually crucial that you understand our, your position, your identity that it does not come with all of those rights, that it does not come with all of those privileges in this world for you to accomplish your purpose that God has determined for us in the world. Part of that is because much of what we are anticipating is future, right? I don't think that I have to tell you guys that you're not glorified yet. Y'all look good. You got your Sunday pretty on, but you're not in glory yet. You're not glorified yet. Um, that we know that. We know that we're looking forward in our identity in Christ. We are looking for the heritage to come, the inheritance that we are to receive that is ready and reserved and waiting for us. We know that we have responsibilities and obligations here to love each other. We know that we are responsible in order to be able to love each other properly, to long for the Word, uh, to change our perception of how it is that we're to engage the Word, to learn the Word, to internalize it. Um, and to know it and to apply it in our lives so that we're able to love the way that God wants us to love each other. Longing for the word also that helps us in keeping our behavior excellent among the nations. That's uh, a key identity statement there for us, right? We are not, um, we're not a nation. Can I, is that simple enough? We're not intended to have a political structure or political power as a unit we're intended to live and exist in dispersion right just say yes i'm right okay that's okay sorry sometimes i say that to make it just trust me i'm right that's the way the church is because that's the nature of the instruction peter literally said that as you're dispersed among the nations keep your behavior excellent don't try to go all tower of Babel on the world guys that didn't work out well right when they tried to unify and accomplish something that they weren't intended to do, when God said disperse, they didn't disperse. <clears throat> now I have to go study ancient languages for years and years and years. All because they wouldn't go live off on their own farm sometime, right? Legitimately. It causes problems. You understand that we're designed to operate in dispersion, keep our behavior excellent among. The nations, and he says he's not. He doesn't make any promises. You keep your behavior excellent, you may, and probably will still suffer in spite of that. There's all sorts of inversions here, right? Of your expectations. Uh, you expect that you need to be able to exercise your rights in order to achieve your purpose in the world. Uh. The key to you achieving God's purpose for you in this world is to realize that you have no rights. Zero. Actually, you're aliens. Special aliens. Choice ones. Precious ones, empowered by God, exercising your rights in another realm, so to speak, anticipating that's coming, but not grasping tightly onto your rights, right? Christ was our example, though he existed in the form of God did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. Important. Says so you're going to suffer in this world because doing what is right is not a matter of exercising your rights, all the time anyway. You're going to suffer and he says it's better, it is better always, without exception, to suffer for doing what is right. We know that there are no exceptions because the first example he uses is Jesus, who did what was right. Did what was right and suffered more than any man, whose appearance was marred more than any man, one upon whom we could not look. Suffered in ways uh, unimaginable, inconceivable, and unable to be replicated, actually because of his uniqueness. And he says, in case you think that that's an unreasonable standard, (laughs) how about Noah? How about Noah, who preached righteousness for 120 years with a 0% success rate? Did what was right, 120 years. Still just got on the ship, on the ark, with seven other people after 120 years when God was being patient. And in that context, for doing what is right, it's choice aliens in the world, recognizing the things that we need to recognize. Some of us learned anyway that baptism now saves us, didn't we? I say some of us because when I said, does baptism save you, half of you said no. And half of you said yes. And I'm not sure which one of you were right, actually, because I don't necessarily get into your brains, right? So the text says baptism now saves us. What's the question we ask when we say baptism now saves us? Saves us from what? Or who? Or whom? Or whatever. I get those two confused. What does it save us from? A lot of people play games with what... Kind of baptism it's talking about there, are all sorts of baptism in the scripture. I think it's talking about water baptism. I think that's pretty clear. What does it save you from? It saves you from isolation and persecution, and identifies you by your testimony as a reliable member of a local church, and it saves you from being persecuted in isolation. Baptism was a death sentence in Peter's day in many cases. He says, don't look at it that way. The testimony that we do, in fact, identify with Christ, and it identifies for us whom we are obligated to, to love sacrificially. That's important, right? I get calls most every week, Denise can tell you this, about people who are demanding that I act as their pastor, I have no flippant idea who these people are. But what I do know is I'm not their pastor. I'm your pastor. I know who you are. The shepherd smells like his sheep, by the way. Not that y'all smell. That's the image. Y'all smell nice. You're in your Sunday pretty. But we identify. You know who I am. I know who you are. And just somebody walking in off the street, I do not have the same obligation to them as I do to you. And I have that demarcation very clearly in my mind. I hope that you do also. Uh, it tells us who we have the highest obligation to love and where the highest obligation of sacrifice is. The people who identify with this local body to protect and provide for them in the midst of all of our suffering for doing what is right. That's not something we're, we usually consider as being a part of being a local body, but that was really central in the ancient church and will be to your experience again, I presume. I don't think I have to go out on a limb to say that. Baptism delivers you. It really saves you. It really delivers you. You don't have to do a bunch of backflips in the text. You just have to understand what sozo means. (laughs) All the things it means. Figure out which one it's talking about. It does not send you to heaven when you die. It's not justifying. It doesn't declare you righteous. But it does deliver you very truthfully from something, from this persecution and isolation. And he says that's so that we can have a clear conscience. Right? So you can have a clear conscience. Your identity is in Christ. And you stand up and you say, my identity is in Christ. So you have a clear conscience. We haven't disowned God. God hasn't disowned us when we make that proclamation. So it's important. It identifies within the local body who we have the highest obligation to love, protect, and provide for. And one day you may remember that I said that because it will be needed So, here we are in chapter 4. These introductions are getting longer. I promise I'm not doing it unnecessarily, but y'all are still looking at me funny on the baptism now saves you thing. So I have to go over it once or twice, right? Baptism now saves us. Now, we have in chapter 4, Therefore, because or since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves. Now, that's El Paso Bible Church verse, isn't it? A bunch of open carriers here. Yeah. Arm yourselves. Also with the same thought, my NASB says purpose, but thought and noyon, because he has suffered in the flesh, he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now we're not dorks at El Paso Bible Church, so we don't say the little phrase that all those people have been saying for years about therefore, we don't say it. If somebody wants to say it, that's fine. Plenty of nice dorks in the world, but I don't say it. But we do know what it means, Right? Y'all know what it is. Don't look at me like you don't know what all those guys say about therefore. What's it there for? Okay, there I said it. Y'all made me, and I said it in a funny voice, so you can't legitimately judge me for it. All right. We know that it's a synthesis, right? It's a, uh, you know, it's summing up things, right? What does the immediate context tell us now about this application of the previous section? What does it tell us about that? Baptism now saves us. We're going to suffer for doing what is right. Baptism saves us from suffering in isolation and being separated from the protection and provision and love of the local body as its highest priority. And then we have an application. And the imperative tells us what the application is generally. And the imperative is arm yourselves. That's not an interpretation, by the way. That word is haplidzo. Now, it doesn't mean necessarily take up a weapon, but it does mean to pick up an instrument, right? When I was a kid, everybody was excited. Did y'all ever read National Geographic magazines? Don't leave me hanging here. I don't want to be the biggest nerd in the room. Okay, Juan read some, okay, Me and Juan are the biggest nerds in the room. Everybody was super excited when these lower primates would get a stick or something and stick it in an anthill and pull out an ant and eat them. I grew up using tools, and all of a sudden they were saying this monkey was doing the exact same thing I did when I made a piece of furniture. But that's the idea. We are, as humans, tool-using in. Beings, right? We extend our capability by inventing and utilizing things, uh, instruments, tools. So, Haplidzo can be that. Arm yourself, prepare yourself with capacity enhancing instruments, things that you're not born with, right? Things that are enhancements. Uh, Jeff Cooper, Colonel Jeff Cooper, you, you gun guys might know Jeff Cooper. Some of you won't, but the the saying still applies. He says that an unarmed man can only flee from evil, and evil is not defeated by fleeing from it. The Bible doesn't disagree. The Bible says, arm yourselves, prepare yourself to meet suffering and evil in the world here. Uh, But he coined the term hoplophobe. If you haven't noticed, we're not hoplophobes here, we're not scared of weapons nor am I scared of tools using them my whole life. So this is not scary, right? Magnifies a person's capacity to accomplish a task. You may not realize the connection. Maybe you haven't thought it through. But when I tell you, you are obligated to do what is right in the world. You are obligated to love one another sacrificially from the heart. You are obligated to understand that your rights are not necessary to do what is right in the world that should maybe give you pause. You may, understand, you may think, man, I am not prepped for that. I'm not ready for that. I don't even like to stub my toe. I'm not ready for suffering. I've got some relatives that think that they've got to go to the ER when they stub the toe. I mean, it's pretty serious. He says, i got a solution for that. No, yeah, these obligations are substantial. I'm not asking you to do it out of your natural ability. I'm not asking you to do it with only the clothes on your back or the things you were born with. You have an imperative to arm yourself with something, an instrument, right? We understand that basically a, a gun is just a way to throw a little rock really fast, right? It's actually pretty primitive technology, it's been around a long time. Uh, night vision right? just a way to see things where you can't normally see them um, almost anything can be one you've ever seen i watched a, a reel recently where the challenge was to use the wrong end of the hammer to nail a nail ever tried that i didn't because i grew up in a wood shop and i'd still be wearing i mean i'd still be dealing with that chain right but this was a challenge you were doing it on purpose they were challenging, they would, I'm not sure if there was beer involved, I think there probably had to have been a lot. They were trying to hammer a nail and one, one whack with the wrong end of the hammer. It was still easier than doing it with your head. Yes? Right? You still need the implement, even if you're not fully secure in your knowledge of how to use the implement. The implement is better than no implement, is my point. It still looked pretty silly. We might try it at the Triple B, guys, August 26th. But beats cornhole with a stick. Anyway, Scripture agrees with the philosophy. Right, that to achieve our purpose in the world requires availing ourselves of God's provided instruments. It's not a, a tangible tool in this case, but the, the verb is used for tangible tools as tangible effects. Okay? Arm yourselves with the thought or the thinkings of Christ. Adjust your mind. Sometimes we we get that at El Paso Bible Church. Some people think, well, you're, you're so academic. I can't win, people. You know, some people think I'm just a stupid redneck, and other people think that I ought to get out of this pulpit because I use too many big words from the same sermon. I don't understand it sometimes. But you need to adjust your thoughts. You have control, an obligation to discipline your mind. It is not just, we talk a lot about disciplining your feelings. I think that if you, (laughs) have you ever seen the instructions on a fire extinguisher? They say, don't spray it at the flames, spray it at the base of the fire. If you focus today simply on trying to discipline your feelings without disciplining your thoughts, you're spraying the extinguisher at the flames. That's what you're doing. So if you need to discipline your thoughts I think you will find that your feelings get disciplined secondarily. And that's what this says. Arm yourself by thinking different thoughts than you naturally think. Particularly these. Now, it is our thoughts that produce things in our life. And he wants us to keep our thoughts on on task. right? And, and I've told you, I'm, I've never been formally diagnosed, but my, my sister uh, has been told, she has adult ADD, and the comment was, you probably come from a long line of people. Probably everybody in your family has it. Because you have like a thousand, a thousand different coping strategies that you didn't learn anywhere else, but from growing up in a family that had to cope with this. So I think I probably do. Explains a lot. That and getting hit by a car when I was five. Everybody looks at me a little differently after that when I say that. Your brain is different, isn't it? Yeah, but I got an excuse. <laughs> I, I got a couple of excuses. Um, it's a hard sell, isn't it? To tell people in this culture you are obligated to discipline your thoughts. To weaponize them, actually. To arm yourself with different thoughts, right, For, in order to achieve God's purpose, in order to have victory in your life. Uh, this is necessary. There's a rationale. He says that arm yourselves with the same purpose or the same thoughts as Christ because Christ suffered in the flesh. That's a reference to his death. It's not simply uh, like we talked about in Sunday school that, that Gideon went and scourged the elders of Sukkot with briars, which he did. It's not a, But it refers to his death. He did that. He suffered in the flesh, and he who suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, you be real careful with that. What does it mean to cease from sin? Does it mean that Christ ever sinned? All right, you bunch of heretics, give me the answer. Does it mean that Christ ever sinned? No. No. Remember that we have, even in our own lives, three states of of our salvation, right? We have what I call our justification, and you should try to remember these, okay? This is fairly basic for three phases here. Justification is freedom from the penalty of sin, okay, Freedom from the penalty of sin. You're no longer suffer, you're no longer waiting for sentencing. Okay? From the penalty. Sanctification is freedom from the power of sin. That's the process you and I are in right now that we're experiencing progressively, hopefully, generally, freedom from sin calling the shots in our lives. Right? Yes? No? That's an opportunity that we have. Glorification the final the final state where we are not only free from its penalty or from its power, but from its very presence. And that's what sin is no longer capable of victimizing or assaulting or persecuting or affecting Christ in any way because he is glorified. He was he suffered in the flesh as a result of sin, but he is no longer suffering in the flesh, he is glorified. He has ceased from sin. Now some people have taken this as a proverbial statement that if you suffer in the flesh, then you get to cease from sin. That's how you get those monks, right? That whip themselves or go out and stand in the middle of a river and dump cold icy water on their heads. Or if you want to be silly, you know, the Monty Python skit where they're whacking each other in the face with the boards. That stuff is still out there. Let me tell you something. You can beat your flesh all day long, every day for the rest of your life, and you're still going to sin. In fact, at some point, it begins to be a sin itself because you're being so stupid, it's now sinful. Because Christ has said, I did everything that was necessary I did everything that was necessary. Oh, you don't think stupidity can be a sin? Read the Bible. Galatians would help. Stupidity doesn't excuse you from sin. God is powerful and capable of accounting for it, but let's try not to be stupid. It's not a proverbial statement. He's saying, you can trust this person. (laughs) Think the thoughts of the person who did this, the person who is now glorified, the person who suffered in the flesh and now does not even exist in relationship to sin or exist in a realm in which sin has any influence or any impact on his life. So now you need to adopt his thought. That's not going to be your experience in this life, but you have the power to discipline your thoughts, your thinking, to be his. And that is the weapon that you're going to use in a world where exercising your rights is not the key to doing what is right. In a world in which we are aliens and not citizens. In a world in which we are to keep our behavior excellent, but the government doesn't help us do that. The weapon that you use is the discipline of your mind. Our my mind. Our minds. Together. We can adopt the thoughts of one who is existing without the presence of sin. And that's the command. Take up the arm, the instrument, so that we can live for God's will, right? That's what it says. So as, this is the purpose, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh No longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Believers. And so you can live your life, not in a fleshly way, but in a godly way. That's who he's talking to, by the way, is believers, the choice aliens. Do we need to review that? I think we reviewed that already at length. Believers, you can live your life according to the fleshly lusts of the world, you can do it the whole time you're here. You can be that rebellious. I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying it's pleasant. It will probably ruin your life and lead you to an early grave, but you can do it and be a child of God, be justified, bearing the righteousness of Christ. Your identity as a choice alien. Yes, having your citizenship in heaven, you can do that. Peter says, don't do that. Don't do that. You have a choice. Live the rest of your life, not that way, but for the will of God. Don't live according to the lusts of humans. You know, I get get almost sick to my stomach when when I hear believers, especially, and oftentimes it's people who should really know better. Really know better, and they talk about sin as something that is fun. So, well yeah it 's fun, but you can 't do it, as if God just put a hundred padlocks on an amusement park, and he 's just out to kill your vibe right he 's just out to ruin your experience of fun in the world uh, sin isn't isn 't fun when God says children. Don't do that. Children, avoid doing that. No longer live your life for the lust of the flesh, but for the will of God. Children, don't do that. Um, It's more like the sign on the wastewater treatment plant that says no swimming. Should it require a sign? I won't describe, you see, my dad was cool, right, but he was weird. And when I was a kid, we would go to the wastewater treatment plant on purpose, not to swim. They used to let you pick up sludge, which was processed from a wastewater treatment plant as fertilizer. And we were cheap. Guess what we brought from the wastewater treatment plant? Sludge. My dad didn't even own a truck. We were putting it in trash cans in the back of a Volkswagen Vanagon. It was a very special time in my life. It worked great for fertilizer, and it came with its own tomato plants. Only cherry tomatoes survived the process, so we had thousands of cherry tomato plants growing in the lawn at one time. Guys, if the water is full of that crap, you shouldn't need a sign. But guess how dumb we are. We need a sign. We need a sign. No longer. In fact, you notice how he's talking about it. He says, don't do that anymore. How dumb are we? Really? He's just saying, this is a septic tank, guys. Don't go swimming here. Now, if you were, like I am, somebody who, you were raised in a Christian home and you came to the Lord young, like I was five years old when I trusted Jesus, this next verse really kicks you in the teeth, right? For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality of lusts, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. It was a rough five years. These were adults when they came to the Lord, right? I was was a tough five-year-old, right? We went over, they got hit by a car business. I tried to kill myself several times accidentally, you know, like making decisions like that. I might have been smart or something had that not happened. He says, whatever time, that's not how you should see it, right? I hope, I, hope, I, I, I hope for most people that they trust Christ as young children. I think that is best. Parents, I think that's ideal. You should be evangelizing your children at every opportunity.
0: Um,
3: I grew up spiritually in a church where they held that in a high level of suspicion. Literally, they would say, we're just going to wait to see. They made a profession of faith, but we're just going to see if it sticks, What they meant was that they were waiting for the kid to demonstrate that he wasn't a little heathen still. Guess what? Most of the New Testament is written to people who are acting like heathens as grown-ups. And all of it is written to believers. Celebrate your children professing faith in Christ and know that it is simple and don't discourage them. These people forgot that they couldn't lose their salvation on a regular basis. These people forgot that the law had no place in their life. These people thought that they were going to, I mean, some of them, in Galatians especially, thought they were going to finish what Jesus Christ was doing by the law, even though they didn't start that way. They got confused really badly. What you should be saying is, children, I am going to discipline you for your errant behavior because that's the job that God has given to me. But you should never say to your children, yeah, and you're probably going to hell because you're such a sinner and it's so obvious. Pretty blatant sinners say that to their children, let's just be honest. People who are guilt-ridden by their own sin, frankly. Sorry, that's not on topic. That's not even in the notes, sorry. I'm not sorry. Get over it. Anyway. The point here is, however many minutes you spent doing those things, like in my case, I don't think it was a lot of minutes. Some of y'all might have had more minutes. All the minutes that you spent doing it, now's the time to not waste any more minutes in your life. You don't like counting your life in minutes, do you? Everyone always says Years. It could be minutes. Hopefully Jesus comes for the church today and we're all caught up into the air and we don't make it to lunch. The blessed hope is blessed for a reason. It could just be minutes. Whatever minutes it was was sufficient. All the rest of the minutes you have live for God's will. Discipline your mind. And in our practices, be separate from those things separate remember it is we're we're not remember we're not separate from the presence only christ is we're not trying to emulate his his being his existence the conduct we can't we're not glorified but we are told to adopt and arm ourselves with his thoughts with his mind And doing what is right is always better, even when we suffer for doing what is right. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. There's a pronoun there. We live in a society confused by pronouns, you know. Probably ought to understand what the antecedent to the pronoun is. Who's they? Don't, don't you use that? They do this. What do you mean? Well, you actually, half the time, you don't even know when you say they, right? It's, it's kind of anarthrous. It's, it's this thing, they. But here it's specific. They. Who's the they? Now, some of you will say this means they, these are unbelievers, and I think it could be unbelievers. But understand that they is this. Are the people who carry out the desires of the Gentiles of the nations. Does that mean that they are... Paul and Peter both use Gentile to refer to unbelievers. But understand, it's people who are carrying out the desires of the Gentiles. That's a possibility for you and me, right? He said the time already passed. It's already passed. was sufficient. You could live like hell. But you shouldn't live like hell, believers. So who's surprised? The people who are carrying out the desires of the Gentiles. That could be unbelievers. It could be fleshly believers, which actually has probably been more common in my life. I find, uh, and this is, uh, I find actually that unbelievers are frequently much more respectful of my beliefs than other believers who have slightly different ones when it comes to the things that I avoid doing. See, I'm willing to toe the line, aren't I? I'm the one, Triple B was my idea, right? Beef, Bibles, and brews. Here's the caveat. If I have to haul your butt out of here because you're in the midst of dissipation and drunkenness, that's the last one we'll ever have. That's the line in the Bible. Drunkenness. And I will haul your butt out of here. Don't test me. I I have hauled drunks out of places already in my line of work in past years. I know I can do it. But the line is there, biblically. When you try to hold the line, you have other believers that are far more critical than most unbelievers. At least in our post Christian environment. Jacob and I have been talking a lot about, um, lately, about uh, Christian apologists for homosexuality. You know that this exists. Right, that there are people who say, "Well, the church has always misunderstood what understood what the church has taught about homosexuality and its acceptability, and Jesus never taught on it." And you know, you know the drill. You know the drill. If you're familiar with that, um, just try disagreeing with somebody on that point. Just try. Tell them, actually, you're not understanding the Word. You're not understanding the vocabulary. You're not understanding the passages. And yes, it is a sin. Yes, it is a sin. They will rip you a new one. And I think they're legitimately saved, legitimately justified in many cases. They can tell you the gospel they believe in. And there is actually a point of agreement or at least hypothetically, right? Many people teach that people who are homosexuals or practicing homosexuals especially cannot be justified individuals. The Bible does not say that. It says that they, there is a cost to that behavior. There is a cost at the Bema seat. There is a cost to engaging in lifelong sinful practices for the believer. There is. But no sin on this earth, can you, can you observe any sin in somebody's life and say that person is not a justified individual? That's simply on the basis of grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And whether somebody is morbidly obese or disobedient to parents or a homosexual, none of those things, none of those things can separate you from that. None. None. I'll give you a minute for some of y'all to stand up and walk out. That's OK. Anybody? I mean, it's OK. I have watched people walk out of this place and some others when I say something like that. You're denigrating the gospel when you say that some particular sin can tell you whether somebody's trusted in Christ. Again, case in point, the entire freaking epistolary literature in the New Testament. You cannot read the book of First Corinthians written to believers and tell me anything else. Paul told them, get your crap together. Stop hating each other. Stop. He didn't say, you know what, y'all are obviously going to hell because your behavior sucks didn't say that stop hurting each other anyway they're surprised they the ones who are doing those things why don't you do it it doesn't hurt it doesn't hurt anybody isn't that the thing well my this sin has victimless that's what they said about transgenderism originally, right? It's victimless. The ideology isn't, is it? It's not victimless. In fact, there are no victimless crimes within the body of Christ. Right? I've told you, pastors are the big toe of the body of Christ. They're weird-looking, kind of ugly Nobody knows what they do until they're gone, right? Pastors are the big toe of the body of Christ. But if you stub your toe, what happens? The whole body starts walking funny. And in some cases, in my relatives, they start screaming bloody murder. There's no victimless crimes in the body, or victimless sins in the body of Christ. They're surprised, the people who are doing those things. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. They'll malign you. That mean, Actually, the word is blaspheme. They'll slander you because you're not doing what they're doing. You're not going along with them. You're not giving them um, affirmation of their behavior. Again, there are no actions for which we're not accountable, whether they're believers or unbelievers. He judges the living and the dead. By the way, that is a description of two different judgments. That is not a combined judgment. That is a statement of Christ's sovereignty. In John 5, 22, he says of himself, for not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son. That's all been delegated to Jesus Christ, and he will judge the living Who's the living? Who's the living? Me. Not because you're breathing. I hope you're still breathing. I hope that your heart is still beating and that your lungs are still breathing, that your heart is still pumping, all that stuff. But spiritually speaking, you are the living. You are the alive in Christ, and He will judge the living at the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ. All of us must appear before it, Paul says. And he will judge the dead. Who are the dead? The ones who are not choice aliens. The ones who are not in Christ. Who are not children of God. All judgment belongs to the Son. And maligning a believer for doing the will of God, for doing what is right, carries accountability. For both believer and unbeliever. So we need to arm ourselves, knowing that it is um, not always a parade, not always a celebration when we do what is right, knowing that we should do the will of God and no longer suffer the lusts of men. This morning, and I know we're, all y'all want to go to lunch, but this is our Communion Sunday. Or we remember what made all all of that possible. Christ laying down his own life. Laying down his own life in our place and for us, on our behalf. The prime example of suffering for doing what is right. The prime example of it being better to suffer for doing what is right. Obeying the Father's will and providing life to us simply by grace through faith. We're remembering that today because we were told to remember it, for one, but we are also looking to the future. That our responsibility as part of God's will in our lives is to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Isn't it nice when you know when a job will be completed? Yeah. There's a saying among those of us who built our own house, when you build your own house, you're never done. Could apply to some large remodeling projects, right, too, Johnson's? It's nice to know when the job will be done. We have an obligation until we are in the presence of Christ to proclaim his death to ourselves and to the world. We're going to do that this morning. So I'll give us a few moments uh, to spend time in prayer or just silence, and then I'll ask the men to come forward. Men, if you would come forward.
1: the sins of
3: For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper. Saying, "This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes." Do you know? Stand with us.
1: We'll dismiss. And so with thankfulness and faith, He writes to His bond. And to remember a call to follow in the steps of Christ as His bond. bless you guys, have a great week see you next week for the luncheon